Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. How are you guys? Exciting. Well, this morning I want to talk a little bit about the life of Joseph. Pretty familiar story. I'm very familiar with it. I've really spent a lot of time. The Lord has really pressed me to study his life. And so I just want to, I'm going to read a few scriptures, but right now I just want to give a quick rundown starting from when he was a little boy. Like he was a child born with favor because he was the child that wasn't supposed to be. So he was born right away with a, he just had a mark on his life. He was a child of promise. And he had brothers that were older that were born of a different mother. And so for that, there was some jealousy right away when he was born because he was favored by his dad. And if you read the story, I don't have time to read it all, but just going through it, his dad builds him, makes him this coat of many colors, which has significance today. We look back, it's very prophetic. And when he gets that, he goes and flaunts it and really just kind of rubs it into his brother's which created even more animosity. Well, then, time goes on, he has this dream. And it was a pretty profound dream. It was, um, and he went straight out like any wise young guy would do and goes out and just blurts out to his brothers how one day they're going to bow down to him. And so the, the, the one that they already didn't like and just couldn't stand, like, it even became worse. So... Um, they were started to plot some things. Well, then, of course, a little bit of time goes by now, and he comes back out. He has another dream, and, of course, he learned from the last time they took it so well that he actually went out and did the exact same thing and says, guys, this one's even bigger. Even kings and queens, like the whole nations are going to bow down to me. And so now they're like, this guy's ridiculous. You know, they just want to snuff him out. But the cool part I saw is... Jacob's very wise that he took what he shared and he actually pondered it like there was something in him that said there's something to this and so he takes this take this story a little bit further his brothers were out you know tilling the land and keeping sheep whatever they were doing and his dad sends him to bring him some stuff and just get a report of course you know we've all read it but he goes out and they they see him and just the anger rises the enemy takes this what we see as a, a opportune time to strike and they say, you know what, let's just wipe the guy out. First they want to kill him, but then one of them stands up and says, no, we can't do that. For, then they throw him in a pit. They were just going to leave him, and they take his coat, and they have this big plan. But then one of them says, no, we can't do that. He says, let's just, and as they did that, they see this caravan coming, so they sell him as a slave. So this child of promise ends up as a slave. And so they, they, they send him off, and they take this coat, and they fill it with blood, and they bring it back to their dad, say, we don't know, we found his coat, we think he's dead, so his dad just is really broken. And you fast forward, you know, he ends up in the Potiphar's house, he ends up being a slave. Right away, there's favor on his life. Why? Because he's a child of promise. God has a plan. He ends up in his house, he ends up being like first, and like really has freedom over the whole house as a slave, really don't have any rules except the only thing that kept from him was Potiphar's wife. We know the story. She tries to seduce him. He says no. That happens a few times. She gets mad, sets him up. He gets thrown in prison. So we see this guy with just this amazing call on his life. He has this dream. He has you know, this one thing the Lord shows him, didn't understand it, but then he ends up in prison. 
And he even says in prison he has favor with the prison guard right away. Like he's there, he's in prison, but there's favor everyone in there is under him. Of course, he's there for quite a few years. Well, one day, the wine, Pharaoh's wine bearer and his bread maker end up in there, and there, he's over them. And, and they both had, you know, it's some years, I'm, you know, there's more detail if you want to read it all, but I'm just kind of just breezing through it just for the sake of time. Well, they have these dreams. So he's had a lot of time to ponder, and apparently he's growing in character with God because they have these dreams, and he said, well, tell me your dreams. So they tell him his dreams, and he gives them both interpretations. Within three days, both of them come to pass. And the last thing he says is, remember me when you're before Pharaoh because I'm, I'm here. I'm, I was sold as a Hebrew slave. This is, you know, I've done nothing wrong. I'm here in innocence. And, of course, they go and they forget all about him. And so I picked this up here. I'm just going to br- briefly read Genesis chapter 41, verses 1 through 12. Then I'm going to skip to verse 15 and 16 if you want to read along. And then I'm going to bounce to verse 25 after that. I'm just going to, just a quick, quick excerpt of, um, I'll pick it up where he said it's two years since he interpreted these dreams. He said, remember me, they forgot him. So verse Number one, it says, Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he was standing by the Nile, and lo, from the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat. They grazed in the marsh grass. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt. They stood by the the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. Then, Then Pharaoh awoke. He fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain come up on a single stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven ears thin and scorched by the east wind sprouted up after them. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump and full ears. And then Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Now in the morning his spirit was troubled. So he sat and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer speaks to Pharaoh and says, I could make t- mention today of my own offenses. Pharaoh was furious with his servants, and he put, he put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. We had a dream on the same night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now a Hebrew youth was in there a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and we related them to him. He interpreted our dreams for us. To each one he interpreted according to his own dream. And you skip to verse 25. He, he go, they go down and they pull this slave out of prison. They clothe him, they you know, give him a haircut, clean him up. And he ends up in front of Pharaoh. And Joseph, Pharaoh says to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then you go to verse 25. Pharaoh tells him the dream, exactly what we just heard. Joseph says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good, the seven good cows are seven years. The seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one and the same. 
the seven lean and ugly cows that come up after them are seven years. And the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind will be seven years of famine. It is as I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt. And after them, seven years of famine will come. And all abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of the subsequent famine, for it will be very severe. Then he says, Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land. Let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority. And let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land during the seven years of famine, which will occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land will not perish during the famine. Pharaoh says to his servants, Can we find a man like this to whom is in the in a divine spirit? Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there was no one so discerning as wise as you are. You shall be over my house. And according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. That's pretty amazing. If you actually stop and soak that in, what just happened? A slave was brought before a king, and in in, in really within a couple hours' time, he's now, he's in charge. He's running the country. That's pretty wild. Like, I mean, it sounds, we read it as a cute Bible story, but like, this is a king, like a godless king. The king has a dream. And, you know, like, to me, that's just amazing. Like, God speaks to a king through a dream. Many of us would dismiss that even at that. God speaking in a dream, like, that's ludicrous, you know? Well, he ends up before him. He ends up, he says, okay, you're in charge now. And, and so what does Joseph do? He says, okay. It wasn't like he gave him a series in, in like a long book. He gave him a word. This is what it means. Do it because this is coming. And it's amazing to me. The king of this country, one of the greatest countries in the world, says, do it. As you say, do it. I trust the spirit that's leading you. And so for seven years... To some, I'm sure Joseph looked crazy. What do you have? You have seven years of abundance. Like everything's going right. Surely this guy's nuts. Look around you. Everywhere you look, like this land is flourishing, probably more than it ever has before. Maybe double. But yet, what's he saying? We need to be storing and setting aside. We're planning for something because God said it's coming. He didn't have what we have. He didn't have the Word of God. He didn't have the whole story written to the end. He didn't have the story. I know I've been up here many, many times, and every time I stand up, you would think all I do every day is sit and think about money. I promise you I don't. (laughs) It's a big part of my life, but I've seen a lot of amazing things. But over and over and over, God brings me back to this place. Why? 
Why would he do that? If there wasn't something that he's trying to prepare his people for, why would he do that? Why would he say over and over, will you do this? I promise you, I don't, I don't take this loosely. I spend a lot of time on my face. I spend every, every day of my life, I'm, like, I'm, I'm just yielded to him. Over and over and over, his heart is the same. He showed me, we've all seen, we've all heard, like, you know, Brother Jim shared a word a few weeks ago of this, you know, like a move of God, this move that's coming. And I believe it is. But what controls a move of God? What has to be in place before this move of God, this thing that He wants to do, this outpouring that He wants, I believe, that He's going to do on His church? It's His people. They have to be rock solid, grounded in what? In truth. Unwavering. Why didn't Joseph, the minute he had this dream, why didn't God just throw him into leadership? Because he proved over and over, I, he had no character. If he had thrown it, he would have miserably failed. What did it take? It took years of refining. It took obedience. It took discipline. It took everything looking wrong, but yet not, lo- not losing hope. He's in a dark prison. He has favor. You, don't, you, don't, you read it. I challenge you to read it. He doesn't complain. You won't see one time he complains. For 17 years, 17 years after he receives this, he's discarded, thrown away, wasted. No family, no nobody, nothing. 17 years. Seven years, great abundance. Seven years, putting aside, putting aside. Something significant about a number. Why? There was a specific number. It wasn't just save some of it. Don't, no, he said save one-fifth of everything. Then if you study, what did one-fifth equal? He said you couldn't number it. There was mounds and mounds and mounds of food. Keep reading the story. For seven years, great abundance. At the end of seven years, you start to see a shift. Like you see here, we've all watched an economic downturn happen. It's not instant. It's something happens, then you see a trickle. Something happens, you see a trickle. And it's a slow process. But if you study this famine, he didn't just preserve Egypt. The nations came to him. Every nation, every surrounding nation came because one man was obedient. One man was immovable, even if he looked ridiculous. One man said, yes, I don't care what people think of me. I'll do whatever you say. And the people came, you know, first it was Egypt, it's this country. And then it's, you know, surrounding countries. And we see, like, what did the significance of this in Joseph's life? He's an Israelite that ends up in Egypt. A time of famine is coming. God knows everything. He sees it all. He puts a deliverer inside the king's palace, uses him to preserve a bloodline that Jesus Christ is going to come through. There's something today that he's saying, church, will you listen to me? Will you heed what I'm saying in this area? It's not because I want you to live without. I'm trying to teach you something. Will you yield a place that the world won't? Like what's Tom saying, as dark gets, it looks darker, light should be brighter. 
the whole scripture's written out. As we know, we study scripture. The enemy knows the word. He tried to use it to deceive Jesus. Surely he would do the same with us. If the whole story's written, the whole book of Revelation, like all, all these things are things, there's things in front of us. I'm not here saying doom and gloom. I'm here saying heed the word of the Lord. What he's saying, there's something to it. He says, grab hold of it. Because would, you know, would, would the warnings, would the things that he says, there's also the promise of the harvest like we've never seen. There's an outpouring coming like we've never seen. But he does say, in this world, you will, you will face persecution. You will face trials. You will face all these things. It's part of what it, this is part of the plan. It's not a surprise. Does he put them there? No, but we have an enemy that's preparing to counteract what God is preparing. And what area, what area does he possess? What area is the easiest area for him to do that? If there's one system that rules the world, one system, what rules it? Everything you see, everywhere you go, is run by one thing. It's run by money. If you were him, what would you do? Probably exactly what he's doing. He's not stupid. But he's defeated if we obey. If we heed it, he's defeated. You know, there's so many things we're going to see. Like it talks about it. There's going to be signs and wonders and miracles and all this stuff. God, he's, it's his promise. It's coming. It's who he is. But he also said there's, a, there's, there's one preceding it, I believe, that actually is coming that's fake that it's not him because it's not it's not master it's not love there's pride laced in it there's fame in it there's all this stuff which goes back to what it all ties back into the root of money the love of money is what what does the world love money what is the one thing jesus said over and over more than any other thing to the church you must be broken of this it's not money, it's mammon. It's a spirit that's attached to it. And I know, like I said, I've, I've had the privilege of sharing several times on this stuff. How do we break the spirit of mammon? It is through the, it's through the first fruit offering of the tithe. This is not Carl saying the church wants your money. This is God saying, I want to bless your money. But I can't do that if you hold it. I can't do that if you won't release it. It's something to do with our heart. He's saying, will you please? He's pleading with you. Not just you. This message is for the world, but I'm saying there's something special he wants to do here. He's building a foundation because he's bringing an outpouring. But I'm telling you guys, this message is going to come over and over and over until we get it right. Until we fully yield it, until we say yes in the whole thing, he's going to keep repeating it. So if we, get sick of, if we get sick of hearing it, heed. Because I promise you, I'm saying that there's so many other things that, that I see and know about my amazing God that I'd love to stand up here and talk about. I promise you there is. He's so amazing. I've seen so many amazing things. But I'm, I'm telling you, like, if we don't, Get this right. We cannot steward what he wants to bring. 
he, he's had me study going back to 1906 all the different revivals that, we've, that have come to this nation and to others. A revival basically is a move of God. Sadly, when you study them, they're amazing. You see story after story. There's still some fruit from some of them. But the sad part about revival is they end. Every one of them have ended. You've not seen one that's sustained to the next generation. If you study them, they, they're, they're great, and it may last 15 years. But you've never seen a baton. It's never been passed. And I think the, what, my, what I feel his heart is, in this area with this foundational pr- principle and money, there's something in it, in, in obedience and yieldedness for life, that builds character. God is more interested in character. Gifts are something that are free. You don't have to do anything for them. They just, you ask, he's like, here. Character's not a gift. You can't ask for it. You can. You ask for character, I dare you to. But then brace yourself because it's not fun as he builds it. What does it cost? Everything. But if we don't yield this, if we hold on to it, he can't build it and you can't steward it. What did he say? Paraphrasing, Jesus said, he talks about mammon. He says, you, you'll love the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I didn't say it. He did. Jesus, the Son of God. Then he said, if you can't be trusted with mammon, unrighteous mammon, then you can't be trusted with true spiritual riches. What is that? It's people. If you can't be trusted with something as simple as money, something, if you can't be, if we can't yield that, if we can't steward that according to the principles of his word, we cannot trust him. He won't trust us with the move of God. He can't. Why? Because we've already proven and told him we are not trustworthy. We're not willing to let this go. He's not mad. His heart is pleading. I feel like he's been really nice. He's been just really nice. He's setting it up like gently. But I feel like there's something on it now that's urgent. And he's saying, move now. Quit playing around. You're not in, so we're not in trouble. But he's saying, all he's saying is yield. Yield. Trust me. Trust me. Watch me be God. You know, you, I, I study the Old Testament, the book, like Exodus. I'm doing this so I can show myself, so the world will know that the God of the universe is with you. And then he says, what? He is incapable of change. He is so waiting to move, with the, move for his people today just as much as he was then. What had to happen? Moses had to yield himself, fully consecrate himself, fully die. He gave up all the pleasures of sin. He gave up all the treasures of Egypt. He chose God. He chose truth. He chose not to care about pleasing men. And the Father's heart today is saying, please, 
choose me. Will you choose me? He's not asking you to go live in a box. He says, I came that you may have life and life abundantly. That's a promise. There's, there's just, my heart is, there's so many things he's pressed in it. So many things. I see a lot of things. Some are heavy. But I know his heart. I know his heart. And his heart is love. It's love. What does Paul say? He talks about every gift there is. And says you could have be the wisest man in the world. You could have faith that would move a mountain. But if you don't possess this one thing, it's just a clanging gong. It's useless. It's absolutely worthless. He's love. He's not angry. But when you look at that, the enemies, he's interested in creating slaves. Which is pretty easy, but it, he masks it up really well. He puts it in bright lights and fancy paint and tells you how amazing you'll feel when you drive it. Or if you could just, you know, it don't matter what it is. It could be something as simple as just your wardrobe. If you have to borrow it to buy it just to be relevant, you're a slave. Maybe that sounds mean, but it's a slave. What is a slave? Here's the definition of a slave. A slave is one who is bound in servitude as property of a person or a household. Number two, a person who is legal property of another and is forced to obey them. Number three, a person who is excessively dependent upon or controlled by something. Don't sound very free. Don't to me. You know, I've, I've lived there. I don't want to live there no more. You know, you look at like Israel, like they were, ironically, you take this story, how he preserves, you know, Joseph's life, preserves his seed. Abraham's promise is preserved through Joseph's life. 400 years later, he raises up a deliverer to bring them out of slavery. They were forced to build another man's kingdom. When we choose the world's way, we're forced to build someone else's kingdom. It's funny, Tom said so many things that tie into this. There's two, there's, you know, there's two kingdoms. Jesus said his, his isn't of this world. So that means it's got to look different. We're to be salt and light. We should look different, not just outwardly. The way we live our lives, the way, especially to me, the way we control finances. If we're not known in business as one that actually pays quicker, maybe pays more, is the joy. Like you're not, you're the one that everybody wants to go to your job. That's what it should look like. Where people are wanting to come do business with you, not stay away from them. They have a fish on their card. 
Sadly, you see both. It's, that's terrible to me. Like it's, it's using the Lord's name in vain. It's exploiting the name of Jesus Christ to gain. There's something wrong. Whew. I don't know how I ended up there. You guys still up? You still good? Hmm. That's fun. Take a breath. That got really quiet. I need to take a breath. Okay. Parable of the wise man and foolish man. Don't need to read it all. We've heard it. What's, what's what they have in common? They both heard truth. They both heard it. In the end, the outcomes were way different. One applied it, one didn't. And again, I think God is pleading with His people. We've heard truth. We know the truth. It's all here. He's saying apply it. If you don't apply it, we can't blame Him for the outcome. We choose. That's what love does. It chooses. He loves us enough to let us choose. You know, he says in James, James 1.22 through 25, he says, prove yourself to be doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Now, you can take that and apply it to this. And I think we should. Over and over, his heart is pleading for the same thing. Will you heed? Will you listen? Will you let me into your life? Will you let me into this area? Will you yield this area? Will you allow me to build you in character into someone that's trustworthy, where I can entrust you with this outpouring of my spirit, when I can trust you with people, to where it'll last, because he is looking to raise a generation. This generation, I believe, is the first generation that we're going to see. This is his heart, where this thing is actually the baton is passed to the next one. But what is going to? What is it going to take? It's character, character, and with God, character and trust run together. And I'm really hoping it gives me something more fun to close it down with because I know, I know, I know it's, it's a lot. I know it's a lot. But, there, but as I'm saying, it's not a condemnation. It's not condemning. He's, he's, his heart is crying out, will you? You know, we, we, learn, we learn how to break the, we break the, the spirit of mammon. 
the joys of offering of over and above giving, the joys of extravagant giving, like getting to know his heart. And then also the last one, the importance of a plan, like creating a plan as husbands and wives, wherever you're at, whoever you are, creating a financial plan, taking it before him, inviting him into it, asking him to bless it because your heart is to be obedient. I, I just challenge you to ask him, like, grow me in character, God. Do whatever it takes in me that I can be trustworthy so you can come and do what you're planning to do. Because when you look, you look at Abraham's life. He will. Like, there, you can have the most amazing prophetic words over you. But you know what they are? They're amazing, and it's God's heart. But it's actually potential. It's potential. To, this is what you have the potential to become. If you will yield yourself in intimacy and through building character and obedience in Him, then you can become what He wants to create you to be. We dictate the outcome. If not, he didn't halfway through creation make robots again. He won't do it. We have to have a choice. That's what love is. And I love prophetic words. I do. I love prophetic vision. But on the same note, it's not a guarantee. You have to, you have to sell out. You have to lay your life down. You have to go after it with violent force. I see that here. A whole bunch of people. I mean, it's truth. Every Sunday, truth. Truth. Just spoken truth. There's hunger. All these things. But there's something here. And his heart's not going to change. He'll never change his mind on this particular subject. He won't. He can't. The enemy knows this. If God, say God did it. Say he said, okay, my people, enough of them are praying, I'm going to just pour my spirit out. And our character's not there. Right? If our character's not there, or for simple lay terms, just say our money's not in line. We're living life, everything's fine. The enemy watches everything that happens. He watches every single thing in your life. What's he wait for an opportune time? I think if I was him, I would love for people to jump early and start moving in gifts. That's what I would want. And have just crappy character. So that nothing you said, especially in the area of prophetic, if God is going to say, I'm pouring out my spirit in such and such a way in the last days through prophecy, through visions, through dreams. If you're not a man of character, if your, if your word don't mean a thing, no one will hear a word that you say. So if you were the enemy, what would you do? You would destroy character. You would make everybody's words loose, free. Your commitments, whether it's in job, it don't matter. He would make them all irrelevant so you would just be noise. And it becomes what God intended for good becomes destructive. All that said, 
Look, you can look out, and I'm, again, this isn't, this isn't a fear message. Please don't hear it that way. There's no fear in what I'm saying. But if you look at the world, to me, the economy's built on this. It's not this way. It's this way. It's on a point, and it's propped up with wood pegs. Really, if you look at it, because why? Because everything in the world you see is built on debt. Everything. So what is, I mean, I think it's all by design. You know, like everybody, let's just, everything's great. Media, everything's great. Buy, 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 buy. Go out, buy, buy, buy. Move a God, come. Usher it in. He's up. Satan's cheering it on. Bring it now. Come on, pour it out. As soon as it happens, I'm going to pull that stick out. Crash the economy. What happens to your move of God? If you're not established, if you're not free, if you're not walking in truth, intimacy in your identity in him, only in him, his voice is the only voice you're heeding. If you're not there, it's not staying. Why? Because there's two voices that speak. If you're not broken from the one, if you don't know the difference, you're not going to hear it. So why is it important? Because the whole foundation of the church today needs to be built on this. It needs to be broken of that system. And he's counting on you. First in your households, and then to everybody that you know. There's a joy in it. There's a joy in it. Because he wouldn't be sharing it, he wouldn't be saying it if he didn't trust you to do it. He wouldn't give you hope without the ability, the Holy, you know, the Holy Spirit is the power source that's going to empower us to do it. He didn't give us an insurmountable task. Humanly, yes, but with him, no. He says all things are possible to those that believe. Man, it's too quiet. Take another breath. I have notes, but there's nothing on here that I've used. That means it's a good day. I believe, alluding where we are today, to the story of Joseph. Right now, today, we're in a time of surplus. We are in a time of surplus. God is not angry. He is filled with love and grace. And he's inviting us to align ourselves with heaven and let him flow. Let him come annihilate death because he wants to, but he can't if we don't let him. He has, he has amazing plans. He does. But it requires us aligning ourselves to receive. And part of it has to be here. We can't be here. It has to be here. So I don't, like I said, I don't know. I wish I could just stand up here honestly. One day I'd love to stand up here and talk about healing. And just how much fun it is to watch God touch. I, I promise you. But he won't let me. He won't let me. There's something here that he says... 
will you do it again? Will you share it again? And I think each time the challenge goes a little bit deeper, but he gives us a little more of his heart to understand why it's so important to him that we would actually step. There's so much more at stake than just your personal budget. There's so much more. What did Tom say? We're building a kingdom. And he's chosen us to do it. But we need to allow him to have the full resource of our whole heart in order for him to fully use this there. So, does that make any sense? Can I, I'm just going to be real. Like, I don't, I, I had a whole bunch of stuff, and I'm like, I know this is, it's been on me, like two weeks ago, Roy asked me, and I knew a week before God told me during one of his messages that he wanted to share this again. And so, I wasn't like super excited, but I was. <laughs> but honestly, I know this, this isn't a normal protocol, but I, I'm saying like, is there anything that, you want more clarity on, like, feel free, ask me questions. Like, I don't promise to have the answer, but like, I don't want you to leave here confused. I don't want you to leave here with fear. I want you to leave filled with hope and expectation because that's his heart. He trusts you. But we can't give him seven, seven eighths or three quarters of our heart and expect him to fill it. It can't go to overflowing if we have one corner that's not there. It can't. He has to have it all. And when he does, it will overflow. And you'll never be thirsty. All these promises are yours. But he can't have, even if it's 98%, it's not full. 2%, it's just he wants it all. He's very jealous for that thing. Because he created you for his image. And money was his idea. But again, like everything else, he entrusts us to steward it well. We don't always do a good job, but as hard as that, he don't want to take it and say never again. He says, no, let me show you the way that I originally designed. This is my way. This is my, this is my idea. This is how it's supposed to work. Does that make sense? Good. Yeah. It's probably why he said we need to get that renewed. I'm serious. I'm not. I'm being. I'm being real. Like I. I just feel like that. I. I don't know. I. I really want to just for another couple minutes to see what God does because I don't feel like it's over. I feel like I shared his heart, but I feel like there's more that he wants to do, and I'm kind of just... Is anybody filled with, like, hopelessness here in this particular area? Is it something that seems insurmountable, or does it seem attainable? Is there, any, is there fear of, like, stepping into it? Is there fear like it could never be you? 
of yielding it and let and like what fear just do you believe that you actually could come to a place where you could be free completely whether it's just free from being one controlled by it but i think his heart is that we'd all end up with no debt but you're not condemned if you're in it he's saying can we shift and change will we yield and allow him to bring us that place because even what seems hopeless and impossible he's the god of the impossible that's what he lives for it's his heart. You know, like, why did he choose to deliver him from Egypt the way he did? Because he wanted to show off. He wanted to show his glory. Honestly, he said, I'm going to harden his heart just so I can show him how, how cool I am. Whether it's getting, I think that's the first step. It is. It's like giving. Like giving your first fruit. It's a mindset. He says in Malachi, test me in this. Test me. It's the only place in the Bible he says test you. But he says test me. Then he says if you'll test me, then you'll see me move. It's an invitation into his heart. I absolutely agree. That's a good word. Everybody hear that? She said the most important thing is character. If we're not asking God to build character in us, then He can't. We'll never be able to carry what He wants to give us. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think I'll close with that. I think that's really good. The um, she's saying it's really important to realize that we have godly character in Him. It's in us. As we get to know him, as we yield our lives to him, what's in us, because his spirit is in us, comes out of us. And we actually begin to live from that place. So it goes back to intimacy with the Father. But I'm saying this one particular area, there's something in it that is the key to your heart. To the, there's, I think there's just a little piece in everybody, because it's love of money is what? It's the root of all evil. There's something there. The enemy knows how powerful that tool is. And he wants to blind the church. I think he's done a pretty good job. But I love the fact that God is saying, I will not relent. I'm opening their eyes. He loves us that much. He's saying, I'm, gonna, I'm opening their eyes. Because why? Because I want their whole heart. I want the men and women of character that are already mine. He sees us already there. But we have to let go of that in order to, to attain it and to walk in it fully. So let's just pray. God, thank you so much.
for your word. I thank you for the truth that's in it. I thank you that every day we, got, we wake up, your mercies are new. I thank you that this morning your mercies are new. I thank you that you're inviting us into a deeper revelation in the area of finances and the foundation that you are building in this church and for your whole church of how to steward what you're going to bring. So, Father, we say yes to you. Guys, just open your hands and just... If, you, if your heart is there, you want character, just open them. And this, just, let's just say, God, like we give you full permission to, to make us men and women of character. Whatever we need to let go of, whatever we need to yield, we say yes to you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we say, come and have your way. You, you make a way. You have, you have come that you lead, us, lead and guide us to all truth. And we just thank you for that promise today. We worship you. We honor you. We love you in Jesus' name.